Welcome to Naturally Nourished, a food is medicine podcast that delivers cutting edge information and solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought out by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only and should not be used in place of any medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from a licensed health professional. Now welcome your host, Allie Miller, integrative dietitian and owner of Naturally Nourished, and her vice president, integrative dietitian Carly Vogler. Hello, and welcome back to the Naturally Nourished podcast. This is Allie Miller, and I'm here with Carly Vogler. Hi, everyone. And I think this might be her last episode we record as a Vogler. Mm. <laughs> we may have teed that up last time, but this is probably the real, real, real. Um, you're catching us in January. It's January 5th. And we are totally overwhelmed with New Year's resolutions at our functional medicine practice. And I'm sure that some of you, this is kind of the time of the year when you do some housekeeping and inventory, you're kind of overfilled and overwhelmed from the holidays. Maybe you're having that adrenal fatigue flatline from entertaining or emotional exhaustion from spending time with family or in-laws. Maybe you're having a physiological bloat from excessive sugar or alcohol intake or gluten. And this is kind of the time that I recommend doing a checklist of our body and our mind and spirit and identifying along with everyone else in the world kind of what our goals are for the new year. So we've provided you guys with so much information we feel now we're at episode 39 I believe on really detailed oriented functional medicine you know how to to work with food as medicine for ADHD or how to do a candida cleanse or what is ketosis and what I keep hearing from listeners is they have all the information but they're overwhelmed and they don't understand necessarily how to apply it and it's important that we can really focus on today the operational element of this so today is going to be all about healthy habits and currently I'm still trying to redefine my role as a new mother. Stella's now six months old, and I'm constantly kind of figuring out what does mealtime look like now? What does wellness look like? What does balance look like? And what are my priorities so that I feel I'm in a sustainable plan of action? I think clinically, sometimes it's easy to talk about science and calories and tangible things but this is probably one of the harder things is trying to understand how to help people because you have to know them and you have to know their habits and what's breaking them at home in their quiet time by themselves so I think this should be interesting hopefully we can we can speak to a couple different of types of people out there Um, specifically today we want to talk about barriers that are pretty common um, and making long-term healthy habits as opposed to just short-term changes. This is all about the sustainable, the marathon, not the sprint. Yes. (laughs) Um, So we we often start by talking about wellness goals and kind of dividing them into different categories. So mind, um, you know, the topic being the mind, the body, and then nourishment specific. So micronutrients, macronutrients, that kind of thing. Um, So Ellie, let's go through and give some examples of each so people can kind of start to understand how to break these up. 
Sure. So I, I love that triad approach because I think that they are all integrally connected. And throughout your life, you're going to be rocking out one element and then the other one might fall to the wayside and, and vice versa. And it's important to check in with your progress on all three elements. So mind could be something as simple as stress relief. Um, and so when we're talking about, and, and what we'll do is we'll further workshop these. So for one thing, mind could be actual like anxiety or mood stability or stress relief. So if you're feeling like mind is imbalanced, um, meditation or prayer might be a goal for mind regulation. Body could be a specific weight goal of a weight you want to achieve on the scale. It could be a percent body fat. It could be wanting to uh, have the physical ability to do a couple pull-ups. Or it could be having a six-pack. Um, it could be improving your time on a sprint. Um, so something physiological or, or body-related. And then nourishment can be either abundance or removal. So it could be, you know, committing to a gluten-free lifestyle. It could be incorporating more vegetables into your diet. It could be adding healthy fats in if you're having some fat phobia, or it could be tracking your macronutrients on a daily basis. Yeah, so I think it's, you know, tempting to dive right into all of those. I think hopefully you all have some wheels turning already, but let's take one step back. And I first want to talk about kind of big picture, the process of change so people can identify where they are right now because you might be just starting off. You might be kind of further than you think. Um, so let's talk about each of those stages of change so we can associate it and relate it back to those three goals. Sure. And so we break down the stages of stages of change into immediate, preventative, and permanent. Okay. And so the immediate is going to be more of an environmental um, or actual change. It's the what. So if we're looking at a change of, let's say, going gluten-free, right? Um, the immediate change would be not consuming gluten on that day, in that moment, right? So opting out uh, or replacing a food and, you know, eating gluten-free on that day, in that moment. The preventative element of this is going to tie in more of the lifestyle elements, maybe cleaning out your pantry to remove any foods that have gluten, maybe researching restaurants that provide gluten-free options, or looking at ways to modify so that you're more... Um, bound or filled with education on the gluten-free diet. So this is kind of more of the, the big picture, creating a change in your environment even more so, uh, the way that you perceive foods. And then the third permanent, which is the most difficult to tackle, is going to be emotional. So this is actually tacking into the introspective reward mechanisms and um, asking ourselves the why of our behaviors. and getting that feedback from when we do consume how foods affect us. And, you know, I can share personally, uh, my husband actually recently did, I'm someone that, that was a uh, mindful avoider of gluten, um, but was never really 110% staunch removal. Um, I, I would use it as a mindful indulgence. And so I never had any physiological response until after my C-section. And I think that there was some significant inflammatory flare and some dysbiosis, and I'm still figuring myself out right now, but giving myself a break. Um, but I have significant gluten sensitivity where now I can have a reaction if I dine out at a restaurant and they have flour coating on their potatoes. Um, and so now I, I'm in a really, really aggressive gluten-free diet. 
I'm, I'm nailing the one and two. On a day-to-day basis, I'm avoiding it. Our whole household is gluten-free. I am uh, modifying when I dine out. But the emotional part I experienced a couple uh, weeks ago when my husband finished a six-week yeast cleanse. And his, and we'll go into the time stamping issues because this is what happened. His like carrot at the end of the race was that he was going to have pie pizza. And it's this new kind of um, uh, boutique pizza shop. And so I looked at him and I was like, you know, babe, I'm really proud of you. I think I'm just going to take some digestive enzymes and I'm going to have some some pizza too. And um, I went for it. And it was one of those like emotional consumptions of food where before I knew it, I literally had eaten three pieces and I felt absolutely miserable. Um, and I even told him, I was like, had I not had this correlation or connection of eating gluten, I was curled over. I was debilitated. I couldn't hold my daughter. Um, I took a hot shower and laid down and took more probiotics and enzymes. And it was like, I need to channel and remember this. And I need to, to understand this connection because the cost to benefit ratio is not in favor and yet there's that innate i don't know that reward mechanism that i still went for it um and i'm sure down the line it might now be six months before i slip up again or it might be a year it'll become hopefully less and less frequent but it's going to take that permanence of change for me to fully resonate that this is not an indulgence this is actually punishment (laughs) there is no joy in this in this participation of this food um it is truly like masochistic <laughs> I think the wheat example is perfect I went through I mean I've I don't think I've been able to tolerate my entire life but there were the the immediate and the preventative I've been in those stages for as long as I can remember but the emotional for the longest time I went back and forth because there is something about that moment at dinner after you've had one glass of wine that what's a little bit I'm not even a hundred percent sure I've never gotten a test back that says I'm gluten intolerant so you kind of just start to slip a little bit and until I don't know what changed but at some point I hit that 100% no looking back and thank goodness because I haven't suffered from it since but there is that back and forth back and forth and then you can go back to the immediate if you just decide to buy some in your house. Like you can go back and forth these stations all the time, but gluten yeah. I think is a great a great one because there's something just addictive about it. And even thinking big picture about food, right? So this could be binging on chips. You know, the again, the immediate not having them that day, the environmental not purchasing them, the emotional, why am I craving it? What is the underlying mechanisms and and what how can I change my relationship with so that I don't have this again I I use that concept of this carrot like this desire this external desire that I can't have um, but I want Um, how do I rework that so I truly don't want it and I'm not just saying I don't want it but I don't want it that's the permanence um, because that's the human behavior shift of something being a reward or something being something that is not desired any longer yeah I love that example with clients when they start to make decisions based off of how they'll feel versus yes the deprivation that's when you know you've hit a good spot mm-hmm. because they start to realize you know it's not about not eating pizza it's about not taking three or four days to recover and feel normal again And I think, so we did a couple examples of these changes with diet, you know, so whether you apply that to gluten, whether you apply that to chips, whether you apply that to just, you know, eating on plan or off, um, it might be a little bit more difficult to think of applying these changes in the mind. Um, But if our goal was, let's say, reducing anxiety or just creating more bliss, like I I just love that word, but (laughs) creating more bliss in my life, right, could be a mental goal. Um, And so the immediate could be, 
bringing in a daily affirmation or it could be you know something as simple as I am taking steps to heal my body or an affirmation could be I am striving to be the best me or I am being Allie you know um, simple simple affirmation could be an immediate um, or incorporating prayer when you're praying or when you're meditating that's your immediate right preventative is going to be again creating that more environment to welcome that so maybe if it's meditation you're creating a sacred space in your household uh, for where you can actually participate in meditation or a space where you can relax or a bubble bath you know you're purchasing bath salts or something like that that would be environmental or preventative and then the emotional again is checking ourselves at that cost to benefit crux of working through keeping that laptop on your lap at 1 a.m um and identifying where our our barriers are of our mental space learning to shut down and continuing that habit because maybe you travel for work you come home and that meditation cushion starts collecting dust right and so it's that's where we've lost that relationship of that cost to benefit of this healthy habit heals my mind and this is more of an associated bliss behavior for me than watching housewives dun, dun, dun. um <laughs> that's me not carly um <laughs> totally my guilty pleasure um so you know it's like it's like the, the short-term mind it's like the cake or the the chips i want to see what's going on in real housewives so like i don't have time to meditate but I know that that true bliss center, there's that numbing relaxing and there's the active relaxing, which actually nourishes my mind and brain. And that's where I want to go for that that permanence, that that tying of the why. The meditation example is great because I, I always admit to clients that I talk about it every day, but I struggle with doing it regularly. I'll go in periods where I do it every day and then I won't do it. And I think that, again, that's an example of where I am with the emotional. I haven't got to that point where I crave it because with meditation, it's not an immediate reward. Yeah. You do feel calmer, but it doesn't, you don't realize how much it's affecting you until you're stressed and you're not reacting the same way you used to. So there's something where I'm just not there hundred percent where I, I crave it and I make time for it. Well, and it's that prioritization of maybe now, you know, going in with, you know, living with your to-be husband and whatnot. It's like, well, after work, you want to spend time with him. Mm -hmm. And eventually we'll have this shift of consciousness of, oh, I can be more present with him and less short-tempered maybe or irritable if I allow myself time to be me and then I can be more present with him. Right. Um, and again, it's just like me with the housewives. I don't think I could be more present though with the TV show. But but in theory, um, that's that prioritization of how we allocate our time. Um, and I think allowing that space for ourselves, regardless of the behavior and goal Allowing that self-space is essential um, for a successful lifestyle change. For sure. And I think an important part in all this process, and we talk about this in journaling your food and tracking your food, but is to write things down. Um, Allie told me about a, a podcast recently where, what's her name, Gretchen? Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen yes. Rubin. <laughs> she talked about how she keeps a journal with, you know, you pick, it's one word of the day and one sentence. So that's much less intimidating than writing a full journal entry. But even if it's not daily, if you do something quarterly where you can see where you were three months ago, two weeks ago, whatever it is, and you, but you look for patterns. Just like, again, in the food diary, we look for patterns. We mm -hmm. try to see what trips you up. Is it after a weekend, you always feel tired, so you're eating more on a Monday? Or are you always, you know, every three months, you kind of have a relapse? What is it? So it's just introspective um, you know, digging. It's, it's trying to find out more about how you work and so you can kind of help yourself. 
And I loved her suggestion. I mean, it, it, like I said, it's January 5th, so I've done four days and four words. <laughs> but I love the suggestion because it's very liberating and freeing. And I, I've, I, I always actually wanted to journal. I journaled in my teens and then haven't done in now 20 plus years. But um, it's daunting, right? It's like, it's like what am I going to write? Um, it usually took a full page of scribbling until I felt like I was getting anywhere. And then that's a commitment of time and energy. And there's this freedom factor of like one sentence and that limitation and that desire to export. And um, yesterday, for example, um, my, my word was tribe. And I just wrote a sentence of gratitude about my tribe. Um, and and it's, it will be interesting to revisit in a month of, of that sentence it doesn't have to be gratitude it could be reflection it could be frustration it could be you know and, and so it's going to be interesting to see what my patterns are and then how I can reframe my relationship within myself and my life and identify the areas of need and then start to break in with the workshopping of the why so so I think that's a perfect you know transition of all of this is is let's create this into action so asking yourself what are your goals and which ones have continued to haunt you? Um, and so, you know, if you've been saying for the last three years that you want to lose 10 to 15 pounds, you know, or you've, you've touched that on the scale and gained it back, um, you know, what is getting in the way of this change? That's what we really have to determine. And that's when it really comes down into breaking each of these and looking at a behavior chain. And a behavior chain is as simple as, uh, if you look at the beginning of the chain to the end of the chain, it's all of the actions, the trickle down uh, that creates the the outcome. And so I have this slide that I use in, in one of these wellness classes that I teach, and it's uh, the cookie factor. And I always talk about that dichotomous thought process of if I'm going to have one, I'll just have the whole row type type process. And that's this weird human nature behavior that I know I've personally experienced. Um, and so when we look at it, the first chain link would be purchasing the cookies the second chain link would be leaving the cookies out on the counter the third chain link would be bored at home on a sunday open bag of cookies then we're going forward to eating a cookie feeling shame and guilt eating another cookie moving bag of cookies in front of the TV and continuing to consume until full, right? Um, and so all of these within this process, the first one would be don't buy the cookies. The second one would be leave them out of sight, out of mind um, or put them away in the pantry um, so they're not just sitting on the counter so you have to run up that downhill escalator, if you will, of discipline, right? Because you're constantly tempting yourself. Um, the third behavior would be have one cookie, put the package away, and allow yourself to state some form of affirmation or abundance statement so you don't follow or rebound with that guilt or that shame because then that creates that unhealthy thought process which creates the binge-like behavior. Um, and so I think that with any behavior, um, not working out, you know, what are the steps, the links in the chain that led to not working out? When I was having a difficulty with that, I would truly bring my, um, when I, I had a gym pass, haven't had in forever, but um, I would bring my gym shoes in my car and put them on the passenger seat of my car. So when I left the office, when I was working for a physician, I would stare at those shoes and be like, all right, shoes, let's do this. 
Then I fell off of that behavior and I would just look past those shoes. So I would bring the shoes into the office and before I would finish my final patient chart note, I would change into my gym shoes. So then I felt almost silly like, okay, I'm wearing gym shoes. I need to go to the gym. Then I had to change into my entire gym outfit, you know, vice versa. And so it's like what types of links in the chain can you do proactively or reactively to either prevent a binge or a fall off behavior or create a beneficial healthy habit? This is a good example of how almost everybody already knows what they need to do, but you just need to really look at yourself to figure it out. For example, everyone has that moment in the grocery store where you go to reach for a bag of chips that you know this is going to be a rough time for you. You bring them home, you might overeat them. Um, So identifying what are your trigger foods. You don't have to keep all bad food out of the house, but you specifically probably have different trigger foods than someone else. So really asking yourself, can I control myself with this food? Um, So yeah, it's just asking yourself questions along the way, but you know within yourself these answers are there. It's just a matter of kind of talking them through and workshopping. And to the level of technique of, I've worked with clients that they just say, I I cannot, you know, I cannot stop eating. One of them was Hawaiian chips, which I don't even really know what they are. I guess they have like pineapple or something on them. Hmm. Um, Yeah, but they're out there. They're like, you know, organic-ish or something. I don't know. Um, But they have like dextrose powder, which is probably corn derived and probably genetically modified and yada yada. So maybe they're not organic, but they're natural. I don't know. But anyway... You know, so she shifted to replacing those pineapple or bar- or, or Hawaiian chips with a different crunch. So she went to the Mary's Gone Crackers, gluten-free, everything sticks. But then she started binging on those, you know. So then it was like, okay, that once was a, a healthy staple replacement that was portion controlled. But then that same trigger, because she just shifted the immediate and the environmental or preventative, she didn't shift the emotional. So her emotional craving and binge behavior just translocated <laughs> to a different food. Um, and so we had to work with that. Um, and we had to work with a hunger and satiety journal and track before and after intake how we feel and then incorporate mindfulness and incorporate alternative distracting behaviors that were non-food centric because for that individual the food replacement didn't work Um, and then I've had other clients that when they purchase the impulse foods they're gonna eat it and so we've even used techniques like hey let's use instacart and do online grocery Um, you you plan your meals you online buy it gets delivered and that's what you have in your pantry Um, And so that's, again, it's an environment or preventative change. um, And each of you will resonate differently with, you know, whether you're bringing those gym shoes, whether you're changing your pantry, whether you're, that's the action and the prevention, but the emotional is always the aha that makes the long-term shift. And another one that gets me, and I don't have kids, so maybe I'm not allowed to say this, but I always hear, well, I can't get them out of the house. They're my kid's favorite. And it's like, but if they're not good, do you want your kids eating that? So don't you want to, if you removed it, maybe that makes room for another apple or some avocado as opposed to these Teddy Grahams. Yeah. So that one kind of bothers me a little bit, but I know I'm not there yet, so maybe I'm not allowed to talk. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, so I think it's important to understand that all of our goals really come down to habits. And so that's what today is on healthy habits. Um, and habits really are the, the what on the why you are not achieving your goals. So like Carly said, if you're semi-annually or quarterly tracking those mind body, uh, and nourishment goals, and you've seen one repeat for 
a quarter of the year, another time, another time, another time. Why and what are those habits that are preventing you from getting to that goal completion and making that that lifestyle change? Because it's a desire. If you're road mapping that and writing that down multiple times throughout the year and for multiple years, three years, like I said, for that 10-pound weight loss, why are we not doing it? What habit is getting in the way? So I want to break down a couple habit type, you know, ways to to dig deeper into this. I think that thinking of that link of the chain is really the specifics of the habits, the what's, if you will, of of the why it's not occurring. Um, But but one general and along the lines of of children um, is feeding your children healthy foods or feeding your family healthy foods, making healthy foods. Um, and so, you know, the, the first thing, and that's what I often get is, well, I'll make recipes from the cookbook, but the kids won't eat it. Or um, I want to eat this and I end up just standing up and eating my dinner in the kitchen because my kids will only eat, you know, mac and cheese or this and that. So why are they rejecting the food? Um, why are they rejecting these healthy, nourishing foods? One, you know, are we modeling it? So the behavior that we're participating, we're demonstrating and showing how to consume these foods and that we enjoy these foods um, because they're watching. Even if they aren't fully engaged, they are watching. Um, And then encouraging participation, I'm sure you all have heard, the more you bring your kids into the the preparation is going to be huge as far as even letting them measure ingredients or letting them tear kale. Even if you need it chopped, let them tear it before. Why not? You know, it's going to distract them, give them an activity to do for 15 minutes or so, and you can talk about the food. Um, I can't tell you when I've done work with Recipe for Success, which is an organization that does uh, gardens and lower income population, we would have kids eating raw kale um, because they picked it and and they were like, cool, you know, wanting to to participate in this. So participation on both the food preparation as well as the food selection. You know, we're going to make a vegetable for dinner tonight. Would you prefer asparagus or broccoli? Um, Or would you like the asparagus roasted or steamed? And then, well, what's that? Well, roasted is this, steamed is that. Remember last Tuesday when you had it this way? You know, so you're having a conversation and engaging them. And then also a discussion during the mealtime. Instead of, you know, creating, and, and this can literally start at age two and on, but creating a conversation about the food of, other than the word ew or yuck, those should be, you know, those are not descriptive terms. Those are not terms that we use to speak of food. We want to know, what is it that you dislike about this? Is it the texture? Is it the taste? Is the taste bitter? Is it sour? Um, and, you know, so you can actually understand why they're rejecting, because I can't tell you how many parents say my kids won't eat healthy, but then they don't know why. Um, and so if you can bring them in on this and empower them and and bring them to the table you know the proverbial and true table in this conversation you can make them then a part of the process and you can identify what they dislike and then you can say how about if I made that you know blah 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 dipping sauce that I know you like would you do you think you would like that broccoli better then and they might say yeah you know or you might ask them why they don't like it and if they can't answer it they might giggle get embarrassed and start eating it That'll happen too. Um, And so participating and engaging is a a big part of that behavior or habit, which is going to create less of a barrier for you to not cook healthy because they're rejecting. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I didn't know you were done. I was, I was kind of, I was keep coming up in my head with this sugar example. I have Uh so many clients with a sugar issue with themselves and I was just kind of thinking through the questions that I would ask them to help work through it. And it's, you know, are you eating 
enough protein? Are you eating frequently? You know, there's, are you under eating? So yes. many women under eat and your body is asking for something. I mean, you truly shouldn't suffer from such extreme sugar cravings every day. Um, so anyway, just another idea I was thinking where I think a lot of people can relate to that sugar yeah. addiction. Yep. And, and then, you know, the, the next thing we look at is like the planning. Um, I think with eating, always planning is a huge thing and your energy towards that process. So this goes into one of the the barriers we'll workshop in a moment but when we're looking at planning it's like I often say surrender to the flow you know like it's Tuesday night I know you're tired mama but you planned tonight to be a 15 minute throw together meal and you can rock it out you can put on two songs of Alberta Franklin or whatever and you can R-E-S-P-T R-E-S-P-E-C-T your way through <laughs> that dinner, you know, um, surrendering, uh, surrendering to the flow, um, making a healthy cheese plate um, and, you know, using that as an option if need be, um, getting pre-cooked organic sausages and throwing some kraut down and throwing together a quick salad. Um, and so it's just about surrendering versus letting it daunt you and, and feeling like, oh, I have to cook tonight. Um, that's going to have a huge perspective shift on making a sustainable, healthy habit. I agree. Allie's idea of always putting on music when you're cooking, make it something enjoyable. I always like to cook when, when my fiance's in the room too. So I feel like I'm, even if I'm doing all the work, it's like, yeah, conversational. Uh Yeah. Uh huh. For sure. Um, so let's talk about some barriers. Um, so I, I think hopefully we've established with you guys, you know, some of the ways of breaking down goal setting. And then we've talked about how to understand the habits and workshop that link of that chain of behavior and then kind of get more into some of the introspective whys behind it. Um, and, and so questioning and engaging and participating within yourself or others if they're playing a role. Um, but I want to just workshop a couple, four main barriers um, to long-term change. And the first one that I have is time stamping. Now, this is interesting because SMART goals, if you've heard of that acronym, we use that a lot in like the business field, is um, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. Um, and so timely is an element of having a timestamp. You know, I want to lose 15 pounds by March. So time stamping in theory could be positive because it creates a deadline and it creates a vision and it creates an action connection with 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 the timeline. I find time stamping though as far as a sustainable lifestyle shift to do exactly what I mentioned with my husband with his six week yeast cleanse. You know, it creates that, oh, my last day is December 21st and after that, look out you know, beer or look out, whatever it is. Um, I see that often when people do a 10-day detox, same thing. It's like, I'm rocking. And, and it's really, we ask them every time they do a detox, um, what is one thing you're going to maintain in your diet and what is one thing you're going to keep out of your diet? So how can you pull the tools that you learn during this process and create a lifestyle shift? Um, so so time stamping, I think, can be positive, um, but it can also be negative because it creates an end to the continuum. So maybe big picture wise, you're really saying big picture, if this is a change you really want to make for life, don't put a timestamp on it. But maybe if it's a little change, that would be more appropriate. Yeah, I, I think it can be the, the timestamp can be a step towards creating the action because the deadline helps you light a fire under your butt, you know, like of that weight loss. 
But then getting there, you don't want to create that yo-yo refraction of, okay, I did it, now what? You know, it's like that crash wedding diet or that crash whatever. Um, It's like, no, what did I experience during that that I want to retain? Because I felt really grounded during that time. And I think we see the same thing with like a ketosis type deal. You know, we run our ketosis program for six weeks. And I'll often have people say, well, can we stay in ketosis? And you absolutely can is the answer. Um, And there's other people that are, you know, calendar circling and highlighting the date of their end. And and then that's going to be much harsher on their system. Uh, For sure. The next one's a a good one, the victim mentality. Yes. These are some of the most frustrating clients. (laughs) And I think I I can even see myself falling in that through varied, you know, elements. Um, And I think it ebbs and flows emotionally. But yes, focusing on what is not versus what is, is what what makes us a victim. So you're at a party and you're following a certain meal plan and it's like, oh, or maybe it's just the gluten-free thing, right? Oh, I can't have wedding cake. Um, and, And then, you know, again, that's that victim mentality. And then you might over binge on ice cream the next day or might go get a gluten-free cupcake because you missed out. Um, And it's like you need to reward yourself for what you lost. Um, And I think it's really about finding the abundance in all situations to make it a long-term change. And the I don't desire that because I feel X, Y, Z, and I'm going to enjoy the hell out of dancing on that dance floor at the wedding without, I'm really on the wedding theme, (laughs) without that cake in my belly. I know, right? (laughs) Without that cake in my belly, you know, or, ooh, I'm, you know, I'm going to have a second glass of wine and then rotate that with sparkling water, um, and I'm just fine with that, or however you want to put it. Um, And, you know, channeling savory helps with that, but the victim mentality can be across the board with whether it's a savory food, a sweet food, or even the working out. I don't have time. (laughs) How much do you like that one? I just don't have time. Mm -hmm. I I don't think you understand um, how busy I am or whatnot. Um, And I think personally, my biggest victim mentality is the influence on the mental where I will be working. I allow myself to work until 1 a.m. because I'll say to myself, you have so much to do, you know, and then I'll start to get almost irritated with other people around me because they don't have as much to do as I do, you know, and it's like that that doesn't matter, you know, (laughs) what matters is getting done what I need to get done and and trying to prioritize that in a better way and learning to say freaking no. (laughs) I think that that's the other thing. Amen. <laughs> so, and I think this is, I mean, it's worth saying this is part of the step in the process too. At some point when you're making a change, you're allowed to go through this stuff. Yep. And then, you know, it, hopefully that's not victim mentality for life. No, and constantly redefining. You recognize that victim mentality and you figure out why am I thinking this way? Because you'll never experience true bliss and abundance if you're worried about, you know, what you're missing out on. Mm-hmm. And the next one is starting small with action and creating a vision map. Um, Allie, tell us a little bit more about your Yoda mentality here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is like the right Star Wars nerd of the do or do not. There is no try, right? So, um, and and that goes to even my next one, which is shooting all over yourself, right? So starting small with action-oriented check boxes. I am someone who loves crossing things off of a list and if it doesn't get accomplished I'm okay with writing it on the next day and the next day Um, but there is the doing, the crossing off, the accomplishing and creating a vision map of what does achieving this goal 
look like and what healthy habits need to be done to get there, right? And so the vision map is I can envision myself on this girl's trip in a bikini feeling really good in my postpartum body. Okay, what are my tr- what are my trigger parts of my body that I feel self-conscious about still? Um, maybe it's my core, maybe it's right XYZ, maybe it's my mom arm, what have you. So what things is it going to take me to get to that vision? One, I need to plank. I need to be doing planks every single night. How am I going to get there? Maybe I need to, again, modify my environment. Maybe I need to put a yoga mat out by my bed. Um, Maybe I need to check off the days I do planks on my planner so I have that visual cue of accountability. Um, And consistency with that action. And it might come down to also, maybe I have to reduce the carbs in my diet. Maybe right. So it could be a, a balance of these three elements to achieve that goal and starting small with the action orientation is going to be bigger than the trying or the desiring because then we just start to feel like failures and that becomes a daunting goal and nothing happens. And I think setting an alarm is another good one that I just Oh yeah, as an action oriented? Yes. So like, what do you mean during your playing? Or like, well, f- well, maybe you know that eight o'clock is a window for you every night. You just put Stella down. You know you can do it eight o'clock. Sure. Plank. Sure. An association. Um, I often say to people, "Is this something you can do right after you brush your teeth?" Mm-hmm. You know, or like something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the the last one I mentioned the shooting all over yourself. But I think even furthermore, focus on what you are doing. Um, I was talking to a client recently who is like killing it with her food plan and um, was focusing on you know some of the little nitty gritty elements and and um, you know her big goal is healing from an autoimmune disease. And um, one of my mantras or discussions with her was to allow healing into her body, allow herself to experience healing versus striving for healing. And that might sound kind of silly, but it's like surrendering to the process that you are doing what you can. Don't be shooting on yourself of what you should be doing on the small details. Get back into that small action crossing off the boxes and then allow emotionally yourself to experience success, experience healing, experience relaxation, experience weight loss, um, and versus focusing on, again, the, the what you could be doing or what you should be doing. I Never underestimate visualization. Yeah. That's yeah. a big one. I think that's a big, big part towards freedom. So um, big picture, hopefully this at least has evoked some – concepts or ways that you can apply I absolutely would recommend you guys getting out a pen and paper after you um, you know listen to this episode and try to pencil in what your mind body and nourishment goals are and then you know see which one you think you've been working on for a period of time but aren't getting success on and start to workshop that chain of behavior or the habits that are getting in your way and how you can insert some of these healthy habits. And then the big aha is reworking the wiring in your mind to allow healing to occur and and allow that to flow through you. And that has to do with that mental acceptance of wellness and um, surrendering to the flow, if you will. Um, So thank you for joining us. You have something to add? I, I was just going to say, <laughs> if you're enjoying this podcast, we would so appreciate a like on iTunes or I think you have to rate it as it starts. Yeah, a review. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And please send in your questions. We love knowing what you all want to hear. So if you go to RD slash podcast at the bottom, there is an Ask Allie. And let us know what you want us to focus on in 2017. We've covered a lot of topics. There's still a lot more to talk about. So tell us what you want to know. Thanks, guys. Take care.
Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Carly at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.